the mother of Hedy Matar, the man who stabbed Salman Rushdie last week, characterizes her son this way, as paraphrased in the New York Post. A basement-dwelling loner who barely worked and never had a girlfriend. The basement he dwelt in was his mother's. She describes her relationship with him this way. If I approach him, sometimes he says hi. Sometimes he just ignores me and walks away. Back in 1989, when the Ayatollah Ruhollah Khomeini issued a fatwa calling for the death of Rushdie as punishment for blasphemous writings, I didn't spend a lot of time trying to visualize the kind of person who would respond to Khomeini's call. But if I had, the result wouldn't have looked like Haiti Matar. The Rushdie attacker of my imagination would have looked less like a, how can I put this delicately, less like a loser than Matar does. Less like some deranged ne'er-do-well plucked from the headlines of the latest high-profile atrocity. To put a finer point on it, the Rushdie attacker of my imagination would have looked less like Peyton Gindron, the 18-year-old who three months ago shot up a Buffalo supermarket under the inspiration of replacement theory, and who, until that day, had spent much of his time in the trailer home of his only friend, playing video games. The friend's girlfriend said this of Gindron, after 11th grade, he was considered weird because he did not talk much. As a result, nobody, aside from her boyfriend, wanted to spend time with him. The Khomeini Fatwa of 1989 helped set off an effort by Western intellectuals to reckon with a new threat emerging from the East, radical Islam. In 1990, The Atlantic published its famous cover story, The Roots of Muslim Rage by the eminent scholar of Islam, Bernard Lewis. Lewis's diagnosis? This is no less than a clash of civilizations, the perhaps irrational but surely historic reaction of an ancient rival against our Judeo-Christian heritage, our secular present, and the worldwide expansion of both. Not everyone bought Lewis's inter-civilizational warfare paradigm, but it did capture something that was more commonly believed back then than now something that probably shaped my assumptions about the kind of person who might eventually attack Rushdie. Namely, that the threat of radical Islam possesses a kind of large-scale coherence and cohesion. That we can think of this enemy much as we're accustomed to thinking of wartime enemies, as a group of disciplined warriors, if a bit more fanatical than enemy warriors of yore, bound by shared motivation and under firm leadership. In this conception of radical Islam, Khomeini's foot soldiers should look kind of like foot soldiers, not like guys living in their mother's basement. In retrospect, I think Lewis's framing was pretty fundamentally off the mark. If I'm right, that's in one sense good news, a threat against the West that emanates coherently from Islamic civilization sounds like it would be pretty formidable. But in a way, it's bad news if I'm right about what Lewis got wrong. One thing I think he failed to see is the sense in which the threat of radical Islam is part of something even bigger than Islamic civilization. Something that transcends individual civilizations. Something that draws energy from tectonic shifts that encompass the whole world and show no signs of abating. I think that it's this bigger, more generic threat that Haiti Matar is most consequentially an expression of and that this is something he has in common with Peyton Gendron. Before explaining what I mean,